0: It's mentally yours from Alan and Evette. i focus on your
1: mental health; you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally,
0: mentally yours, mentally
2: yours, mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to mentally yours. I'm Yvette and I'm Ellen and this week we're joined by Brent Williams who's written a lovely book called out of the woods it's a bit different it's
1: a graphic novel um, and it's based on his experiences of depression and anxiety but before we get into that um, why not give last week's episode a listen which is all about grief and death with a lovely therapist called Julia
3: I mean I think it is changing within the generations but what research shows is that men tend to want to get on and tend to want to be okay and kind of fix things so when I saw men often they wanted to have another baby or go back to work and women tend to be preoccupied to ruminate to go over and over it and want to know every kind of piece of the puzzle and there's a couple that can cause real problems because he thinks she's a kind of wet rag who never stops crying and She thinks he's a selfish bastard who just wants another child, you know, or or to be okay.
1: So that was Julia on grief. Now back to Brent Williams. So we can hear all about Out of the Woods and his experiences with anxiety and depression.
3: I didn't know it, but I had anxiety when I was a child. Eight years old, I can now vividly remember my first um, moment of anxiety. Uh, In my teenage years, I had panic attacks. But it it didn't really limit my life in any way. Mm. It wasn't until my um, late 40s and 50s that I got it full blown, along with depression. got depression first, actually, and then the anxiety kicked in as the depression was lifting, which was a little bit perverse you think you know depression was bad enough and then to sort of get the anxiety and then I sort of had both of them for a while as well Always fun Yes it was fun I always described them as you know, sort of the, the two sides of the same coin and sometimes it would, they would flop from one to the other you'd notice the depression depression would lift a bit and then you, the, the anxiety would kick in I think in my book I described it as sort of like a cruel double act where one sort of holds you down and when you get up a little bit, then the anxiety spins you around. So you get this sort of, the two, which the words describe really, the depression is a pushing down, a holding down. The anxiety is that unsettled, stirring, driving force that doesn't allow you to, to settle or to, to live a full life. So the two of them are really quite big disabilities in my case. I couldn't work for many years um, they really limited my life, and I, a lot of I had huge some huge life changes around it. You know, I left my family, and my four lovely children, my wife of thirty something years, my house, I walked away from my business, which I developed over many years, just wanted to give everything away and leave the world.
2: When you say you sort of basically retreated from the world, was that a fairly sort of like a snap thing that happened?
3: I don't know if it was snap, I just, it was just I knew that's all I could do. I could not cope in the world, I couldn't, co- couldn't do my job, I couldn't be a father, I couldn't be a partner, I couldn't be a friend to anybody. I just had to retreat, I just had to withdraw and of course part of that was wanting to end my life really strongly and um, get away from every possible responsibility that I had just to cope at a very basic level, just to function. I had to sort of shed all that my, you know, I'd worked as a very busy um, human rights lawyer, I guess, in the general sense. I was a community law centre worker and an educator, worked with people around um, areas of um, family separation, child abuse, domestic violence. They were the big areas I was working in you know, I could not cope with any of that information anymore. It was just like overload. So I think it was a common, it was burnout, it was depression, it was anxiety and it was all big, one big mess really. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, big impact.
1: Do you think your work hearing those kind of experiences had had an impact on when your depression came out?
3: I've read this and I like it and it sort of applies to me. I think that Depression for me and anxiety were sort of three combination of three things. Firstly, the genes that I inherited from my father, who suffered from depression and anxiety now, when I look back, uh, quite badly. Um, early childhood experiences as you're growing up, your vulnerable brain as it's developing. I had a very um, difficult childhood with my father. He was a very overbearing, critical, oppressive man. Um, there was a lot of domestic violence at all levels, within our family that I witnessed and was part of. So those two things, but then there's a third thing which is I think is like the tipping point and that was leading a very stressful life. Stress. So your genes, your upbringing plus stress can can very easily lead to these illnesses. One on their own could do, or two on their own, but it's like the combination of that I think is quite significant.
2: So you've created this beautiful graphic novel, Out of the Woods, um, and it's sort of a sort of a story about anxiety and depression. Um, what inspired you to create this? Because obviously a lot of people have been through those experiences but they don't necessarily go on to create something like this.
3: One of the early things I did was to write down my feelings and thoughts in a journal and I'd never done this before so it was just something no one told me to do it. It was just something in a very isolated place. It was the one thing that gave me a little bit of comfort. Right, that I could go somewhere and just sit and write just how I felt, how stuck I felt and that somehow gave me a little release and so I built on that and developed it and did it for quite a while uh, wherever I was and the journals sort of morphed into I I was not just writing about my own feelings I was writing as if I was my old job educating somebody about these illnesses now I was nowhere near well but it was, in a way, I was talking to myself. I was doing some research by then. What are the good things that we know scientifically that can help people get out of these illnesses? So it motivated me to research, to write about them. And this was a slow process. And then when I got to the point where I thought I'd like to actually offer something back to people, offer something of my experience, I was a lot stronger by this stage, and I thought it was pretty clear that it was going to be a graphic novel. One, because... When I was really depressed, I couldn't read. I just couldn't take in information. Mm -hmm. And I thought, whatever I do, it's got to be very visual. And secondly, when the things that actually made me face my depression, when I was able to read, were people's personal stories. And I remember reading Shoot the Damn Dog by Sally Brompton. And it was just a really powerful personal story. And I just remember how much that... I connected with that. I just cried and cried and cried. And I think it was the first book that made me think, made me actually say, you have been depressed, even though it was very clear that I had been. I was still in denial. I was still the strong person that helps other people, not somebody who is vulnerable and has an illness. And that was the shame that I, deep shame that I felt, that I had to run away because I couldn't face admitting that. I couldn't accept help. So reading Sally's book was, was such a powerful um, starting point for me, say, to acknowledge it, and it can only get well once you've acknowledged it. So I had these two things going on. One, whatever I said, I wanted it to be very visual, and secondly, it needed to be a pers- my own personal story. So I thought, well, the graphic memoir format is a very convenient one. It combines those two things. So I then started writing my story in a, like a script, because my background had been making educational films. So I wrote it as a script and then I went about finding an illustrator and for three and a half years we worked together panel by panel creating my story, Um, which was fantastic because that process allowed me to really get well, get stronger, to research more, And to live what I was saying so it wasn't just in a moment of feeling, well, I could say all these great things that would help people. Because it was a very rocky road, you know, it was ups and downs. And I, the three and a half years of writing the graphic novel really gave me an opportunity to say, well, you know, just don't put down a whole lot of tips and easy to say things that could help people. You know, I had to live them, I had to test test them out, experience them, and really write what I honestly felt about those things. What did it do for me? And then at the end of that process I thought, okay, now do I now I've got the process of publishing it, actually getting it out into the world. Up until that point I think it was just really I was doing it to help myself. Mm. But the publishing part was, okay, maybe this is and of course I had huge doubt. I thought, Well, who is gonna to relate to this? And is this gonna be of value to anybody but the response is and it's been out a few weeks now um and the response has been fantastic so it's been very heartening to know that people of all walks of life from senior judges are writing to me and a mother of a nine-year-old child read it to her daughter to explain why her father left and said she got a lot of courage from from reading that it explained what was happening so uh, that to me was quite exceptional. That there's that diverse range of people are relating to my story and to the format, which is a graphic novel format, which doesn't appeal to everybody. Mm. A lot of people are saying, "I oh, was, well, I didn't like graphic novels, but ah, oh, that this is really easy to read." Mm. So that's great.
2: I can absolutely see why you would choose a graphic novel, though, because when you were sort of saying about, it can be quite hard to um to read when you're depressed, because I have bipolar disorder, and when I've been depressed, you just can't focus mm. in the same way that you can normally. So, yeah, just sort of something a lot more simple with pictures. I think it could be, yeah, easier, more accessible.
3: And I think the other thing is that there's a very emotional component of depression. Mm. You know, your brain might be sort of impaired in lots of ways, but your emotions are wide open. Mind were, they were wide open. They were receiving too much information. Mm. So the visuals that we've created here... Are ways that actually people can feel things, can get messages that can be absorbed by emotionally, in another level than perhaps they wouldn't have received if they were just reading a textbook. So, um, you know, I'm really pleased that it seems to be working at that level, which is great.
2: So, we're having a look through the book now, Out of the Woods: A Journey Through Depression and Anxiety, and it's a lovely, solid graphic novel.
1: It is difficult to turn a book when you are holding a microphone to your chin. <laughs> it is a little bit. I'm <laughs> just so, to I'm, explain the pauses. I'm
2: scared of ripping pages. That would be awful. It's not really enough for me to sort of just say the words because
1: mm, the, the major part of it is,
2: is the pictures because obviously it's a graphic novel.
1: Does the artist have experience with mental health issues himself? Because I think he's captured yes. the feeling so yes. well.
3: Yeah. yeah, he's had his own struggles and difficulties. And the writing the book for him was a challenge
1: yeah i'm sure it was a
3: huge challenge uh it challenged his the depth which he had to go into this topic was challenging at times i think he wished he hadn't taken it on he also had the personal difficulties in his own country you know he um, isis bombings in his town uh, they had a coup in turkey um, which made things difficult for him so he had this environmental, uh, geographic and environmental mm. and social issues going on. Yeah. He had the personal challenges of doing the, the story. But at the end of it, he is so pleased. And we met up. And I delivered him. I went to Turkey. And that and, was the first time you met? Uh, yes. And I <gasps> delivered amazing. him some books. And we just, we laughed, we cried, we talked. We, we just had this fantastic connection. Uh, over the, you know, finally we met up and we yeah, were just like brothers and it was very moving. And I met his wife and, his, of course, he had a baby during this time. So I met his baby, who's now two, and uh, it was just fantastic. And he, he said he's this is the most important piece of work he's done. Mm. And he said every one of the self-help um parts of the story he used himself and it helped him get through his personal difficulties because I didn't say that he also had his mother in a coma during much of this time mm. and he was him main support person so he had so many things going on so the book helped him and he's as proud as I am at the at the end product it's very cool
2: as well as helping people with their own mental health issues do you think this could be quite useful in helping relatives and friends understand what's happening to someone with depression and anxiety. I've got to a piece in the book now where someone, I think he's having a panic attack and it's all very, well
1: dramatic's not quite the right word but it's sort of how do you describe that? Yeah, it really does show what it feels like which I think is difficult because obviously what's going on inside a panic attack is invisible to the viewer and if you haven't experienced it, it's very difficult to understand but I do think this medium makes it a lot easier
2: yeah I mean the pictures you've got are kind of the way he's done them they're sort of blurred and you've got um, scary barking dogs but I'm not really doing it justice by saying that Um.
3: because when you're having a full blown panic attack you do feel like you're being dragged through hell to your death Um, it's very hard to tell somebody who's never experienced that they say panic attack Oh yeah, maybe you having a bit of a difficult time, but that feeling of dread and and death which comes with it. So, I developed the character a depression character because I thought it was really important for me to put a shape around depression because it's such an amorphous, difficult thing to grasp. So I developed a thing which I had a, I have a conversation with in the book, and then it was very easy then to think, oh, okay, anxiety. It's like depression's this deathly character's two wolves barking at your heels, snapping at you, chasing you, um, harassing you, bailing you up. So it was quite a nice uh, visual thing to have there.
2: You also have a character in there who's sort of guiding the, um, the person who's not very well. And they're, they're sort of like the, I'd always say, sort of say like kind of an angelic kind of character, giving them the sort of prompts to get better.
3: Um. Yeah, and that for me was, was the spark of wisdom that I had to get well, to do these things, to go and see a doctor, to go and see a therapist. Somewhere in there, at some point, it may have taken me a long time, I, there was that glimmer of, I need to do this. and that, So I developed a character to represent that voice of encouragement and of wisdom. And, of course, as I read more, found out more, did research that voice becomes, that character becomes that voice. And I say that he's now, people say, who is he? I say, he's me in 10 years time, <laughs> always. <laughs> because it's, a, it's an ongoing process. Yeah. You don't just, you're not wise, you, you, it's a, you know.
1: It's your future self that has shit together,
2: basically. Yeah. What are some of the routes that you give people for getting out of the woods?
3: I'm really reluctant to give people tips and strategies. Yeah. <laughs> Because they annoyed the hell out of me when I was depressed. Mm. Just do this. Just go swimming. Just meditate. Just learn mindfulness. Mm. Just. And the just was like somebody had just, you know, put this huge barrier in front of you that you had to jump. All those things are fantastic. I believe them and they're in my book. But in the context of my own personal journey. So, what I'd say to people is two, two important things it is a journey. You may be lucky that it can just be a small glitch in your life and you get on with your life, but I don't believe you can really get well unless you treat it as something that's a, it's a warning bell. It's a sign, if you're seriously depressed, it's a sign that something has happened in your life that you need to address. So you need to actually work through that, and you need to work through it with help. It's really good help. I don't know how, but you could do it on your own.
1: I just want to get slightly nerdy for a bit. Yep. and admit that my dissertation was on um, graphic novels and how they're good at expressing mental health. So this is like my dream oh, book. Yeah, great. But I was just interested in how you found actually writing and creating this book for your mental health. Like, was it strange to see your experience laid out on a page? Was it therapeutic?
3: That's, that's quite, quite big because it was all of those things. Mm. Sometimes it was enormously therapeutic. Other times, I thought it was really tough, yeah. to revisit this to, you know it was because it was such a slow process it wasn't something I could just write and, and flick out. Mm. you know it was the three and a half year process of actually creating the book it, but I learned so much during that process that I think I would you know I think it was a great a great thing for me to do. It was really good. And I had to think very carefully about what I said and showed in each panel. And I went back to my diaries, my journals, to to relive those experiences in a way, to get them accurate. And that's not the greatest thing when you're depressed, to go back to to Mm. live your depressed experiences. Um, But I think I got some strength out of that, but I wouldn't recommend it necessarily. And just the other week... I launched the book in my hometown in front of 200 old colleagues, family, friends and I stood up and I talked about my depression and it was probably the best thing I'd ever done because in a way all these years I've been hiding the fact of why I haven't been able to work why I was sick and um, this was my chance of coming out and telling people and that's, and the support I've received from that you know, I wish I'd done that a lot earlier I had to write a book to actually tell people I was depressed.
1: Are you nervous at all that your experience is out there as a book for anyone to read and anyone to know Not about? at
3: all. Now, that's the bizarre thing, because when I was editing it, you know, years of editing and changing, I think, who's going to be interested in this story? You know, I can't do this. I can't talk about my father, this formidable character in my life. Now I'm writing about him. And I'd have these anxiety dreams that he was still alive. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm publishing a book. And and he's still alive. I can't do that. But the reality is, it's been fantastic. I've had no doubts, no qualms about doing it, because I'm being supported. People are writing saying thank you, thank you, thank you. It's it's you've told my story. You know that's what that's what they're saying. So I'm thinking, wow, this is so cool. I'm so pleased I've done it. So overall, yes. But it was a tough, a tough process. Yeah, I'm sure. And I did it with a good therapist to support me so she made the book part of therapy she didn't let me hide behind being an author you know, every day what I wrote and what was going on about the writing became part, part of therapy which was an incredibly helpful strength, strengthening process for me it was very cool
2: you said that depression and anxiety originally took you completely away from your family and friends um, how have you managed to come back to it other than therapy and the book?
3: As I got stronger, I think that was the thing, I could start reconnecting with my children and um, just slowly built those relationships again. And I think the book, I dedicated the book to my children, and it has, the publishing of it, because no one in my family read it before I published it. I didn't want to show them and have influence the story in any way. I had to be very honest about being my story, t- telling it in my way. And I worried about how they would react. But the reaction's been really good. You know, they've been very proud of me. We're proud of your dad, giving me big hugs. And it's made them actually ask some questions about their own lives. And it's strengthened our relationships. So, and it's made a huge difference in my mum and my relationship. Because you know she lived with domestic violence for all my life. We had to pull her out of that relationship. It wasn't until I was in my mid-twenties that we were successful. So she's hid the whole domestic violence story, and you know she's 86, and she said she's lived with the guilt of um, not protecting her children through all those years because she was a victim herself and she wasn't very capable of doing that. And now people are coming up to her and giving, putting their arms around her and saying, well done, so proud of you doing this. So it's just created this wonderful swell of emotion within the family and healing and conversations about depression, and my friends are writing to me, and it just really showed me how stuck I was and how ashamed I was and what a difference it is when you start telling people what you've been through. Yeah, I know... You guys talk about this every day. It's not new to you, but it's completely new to me.
1: Yeah, and when it's the first time, I think it's such a big deal. Like, Mm. I only really came out about mental health issues, like, last year. And I remember that being the scariest thing. Worried not just about, like, strangers, but more people close to me. Um, In your personal relationships, you said that it's made it stronger. Have you had any kind of backlash to being this honest in a book?
3: No I haven't. That's brilliant. Neither from people or myself. I thought I'd have a backlash myself I thought I'd go into a period of maybe feeling oh what have I done and feel a bit ashamed about Mm. about, um, telling my personal story Um, I guess the only thing I do feel is I feel really sorry for people that haven't got the same advantages or privileges that I had because of where I live and because of my financial situation I was able to Choose and pay for a therapist myself, and it breaks my heart when people are struggling to get a therapy. Because for me, it was the most important thing that I could have done. Or they're given a few sessions, or they have to travel huge distances to um, to see a therapist. And I think, you know, it is the one thing that we know will get people through it. It should be available to everybody who suffers from depression. It's a, it's a real shame it's not. Um, so um, so it's not, I'm not ashamed about that, I'm just sorry that people haven't got access to, to the same level of services that I had.
1: Well we are really
0: very angry about this shit. Yes we are really very angry about this shit.
2: So one thing I'm angry about this week, I guess it's kind of a mixture of um, being angry and sad really. I mean... I suppose it's great the fact that everybody's chatting so openly now about mental health, or maybe not everyone, but it's becoming more acceptable. Um, but I think there's certain there's it's all it almost seems like there's levels now. So people are chatting a bit more about anxiety and depression, and and kind of maybe in the way that you might I don't know be a functioning alcoholic, sort of mm. still be out and about and have these things. But I think there's still quite a large degree of people not really understanding people who are in mental health units and in hospitals at the moment and um, people who have been sectioned and the treatment of people in those institutions so for example the way that people are currently restrained um, when they have psychotic episodes um, the thing is that these are the most sort of vulnerable people and because these things are happening to them at a time when they're not I mean they're just literally not in their right mind um, a lot of the time they're not believed afterwards. I've heard some really harrowing stories from some of my bloggers who write about mental health issues, um, about how they've been sort of very violently treated when they've been restrained, and also oh, like, quite shockingly um, sexually harassed during these situations. And that, you know, it's absolutely heartbreaking um, because it's happened, but because they were in these states of mind at the time, um, they just weren't believed. So, yeah, I mean, my starting point for that was, I think it's great that we're talking more about mental health issues, but I think we need to realise that it's it, it's going on to sort of a much deeper degree. You know, just because some people are sort of talking on a chat show about sort of anxiety or depression or um, well or any of these things, um, there's still things going on behind closed doors which we need to know a lot more about, mm. and it's I mean. I think we need more people talking about things that actually happen in these institutions and more investigations into things like that
1: I think at the moment we're being presented with a really palatable view of mental health it's like ease yeah. people in so you'll get a lot of stories from you know pretty young women talking about anxiety and those are really important and they need to be shared but yeah. you're right like we're not hearing about more debilitating illnesses or mental health when you you know, don't have access to a place to share your story or a way to get help. Mm. Um, we don't really talk about mental health in prisons, in mental health hospitals. Mm. I'm hopeful that you know maybe it will be, will ease into it. But also, I think it's up to people in power to not just shine a light on those kind of more, you know, like prettier, easier to understand issues, and actually mm. so admit like there's a lot of really horrible dark stuff going on Mm. i feel like now
2: we're talking about it though there's there isn't you know we have a responsibility to actually yeah find out about that side of things as well and um as journalists you know write about it share people's stories and yeah
1: i think it's difficult because obviously it's i don't want to like invalidate anyone's experiences it's obviously really difficult to share about anxiety and depression and those kind of things but it is so much harder to come out and say i was in a mental institution um or i'm going you know i'm experiencing schizophrenia or psychosis or those things that still have a lot of fear attached Mm. so it's actually quite it's difficult for us to even Cover those stories because there's still so much silence around it. Yeah. And yeah, I completely agree. I hope that as journalists we can share those stories more, and I really want to do that. Stupid crap my brain has told me a and... Oh, stupid, 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 stupid. Uh, so, stupid crap my brain has told me is kind of more a specific feeling or obsessive thought which. I still haven't really dealt with and I haven't really got therapy for yet. Mm -hmm. It's basically, so I was drinking out of a glass the other day and I noticed just a tiny like speck of food on the glass. And I have a real thing about touching food, I don't know why. It just can sometimes, sometimes it's fine, other times it completely freaks me out. Like if I'm baking it's fine, I can mix by hand. But if it's like leftover food on a plate, it really puts me on a lot of edge so I kind of wiped off the food thing and I thought that would be the end of it but I literally could not stop thinking about that speck of food and like the sensation of it and touching the food for like hours afterwards which sounds absolutely absurd and I think it's very difficult to explain that to people and say oh you know I'm distracted right now because you know there was a speck of food on my glass or whatever um, so yeah that's my stupid I don't really have a Neat way to tie that up, or how I've come to terms with it. I think it's just something that I probably need to chat to a therapist about. Which is good because I have my first therapy appointment in two weeks' time. Mm-hmm. Yay! Um, but yeah, I think you know that again. That kind of relates to what you're saying. That's not one of the more palatable, easy to understand sides of mental illness because it's not something that necessarily everyone can relate to. But I do think it's important to talk about those weird, embarrassing things as well. Where have you got to in terms of the therapy? Have you Which road have you gone down? Is it private? So private, because I had my um, NHS recommended therapy which was online over webcam for I think a total of eight sessions um, and that was really helpful in a lot of ways it was CBT focus, and it was great for social anxiety but basically at the beginning um, the therapist kind of upfront said I can't help you with obsessive thoughts that's mm-hmm. not my expertise And my response was kind of, well, that's the main thing that I want help with. Mm. Um, So now I am just going private because I honestly don't think I can deal with waiting more than six months again. Mm. And then knowing that I have this limited time, so I have to try and pack everything in and, you know, not being able to choose when I'm doing it because it was at a really impractical time of day for me. I work early shifts and I kept having to do it late at night. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I've gone private. And it's eight shifts, for fuck's sake. Yeah, that's I mean, not like, enough. How are you supposed oh, to fix eight everything? Shifts. Eight eight sessions, yeah. then you're fixed. It's nonsense. What and is like, wrong with the is, NHS? It's hugely helpful. And like some of the strategies she taught me, brilliant, still use them, great. But there's no way you can kind of send people back off all fixed and ready from that. Um, and especially when I kind of went with maybe three different issues and we only really tackled one tiny part of one of them Mm. um so i'm hopeful that private will be better at the moment i've basically it's very much like online dating Mm. i found like i've sent out i'm interested emails to about four different therapists Mm. a lot of them have got back and been like i'm not taking on new clients right now um some of them only have like really specific availability um so now i'm having my first like trial session with one to see if we get on yeah um, and yeah that's that's where it's at no oh, that's important it's definitely like dating yeah
2: I've sort of thought of it like that as well before
1: hugely yeah
2: because you just need to you just need to decide if you're on the same sort of wavelength exactly and kind of if you like them as well And because you know there's a lot of obviously opening up and
1: exactly. building trust and stuff so. and I know that if I do not feel comfortable with someone I won't be 100% honest and I'll hold stuff back so mm. I think it needs to be someone very comfortable with and specifically i want a woman Mm -hmm. which is you know just because of general discomfort around men but um yeah it's it's hugely important i think testing that out and working out something that's actually practical for you like in terms of the fact that you know it's a therapist that's near my office yeah um it's going to be at a time that actually suits me and obviously that's not stuff you can access on the nhs at all but how much does it cost So this, she's estimating between 50 and £60 per session. Mm. So I'm thinking that I cannot really afford to do weekly, but I might do fortnightly because I think that's doable and will still be helpful, I hope. Um, I think it's really important to talk about the cost of that. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea how much it would cost. And honestly, mm. when I looked, the range in prices was very strange like some people I saw they estimate around £150 per session mm. um, the different areas in London were very interesting as well like West London which is near our offices, um, a lot more expensive than Tooting or Enfield mm. um, but I think if you're not told about pricing you have no idea what's normal or what to expect So this is
0: goodbye
2: from mentally. Ill.
0: Go away,
2: enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally Mentally, yours, mentally, yours, mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, then please give the Samaritans a ring on one one six one two three, 123 or go to their website, which is Samaritans.org.
1: If you've enjoyed this week's episode, please give us a review on iTunes and give us a follow on Twitter at Mentally Yours, your spelled Y-R-S. We also have a new Facebook group, which is just Mentally Yours, um, where we chat about all things mental health. You can have conversations there. We'll post podcast news there. So come and have a chat to us there, please.
2: Thanks very much to our producer, Sam Bonham, and thank you so much to Lucy Baker for the lovely jingles.
1: See you next week.